what we'll talk about this morning is uh, false teachers. And so I was I was flipping through my uh, Bible several weeks ago, uh, just trying to think about you know what what would I what would I talk about next? What what would my next uh, topic before y'all uh, be? And something that I just noticed. I mean, you start flipping through these epistles, and it's like, my oh my, false teachers and this concept of, of false teachers and who they are, what they look like, uh, the the uh, warnings about this is a reality of being uh, among God's people. We've been studying in First and Second Corinthians, and you you see. Paul's battle with those uh, seems to be uh, Jewish uh, descent false teachers that were at Corinth. And so, um, you know, you think about, uh, at least I think about how quickly all these things took place. You know, we're starting here in Acts 20. This is uh, with uh, Paul's discussion with the Ephesian elders here. Um, The battle between the truth uh, and, and falsehood has been from the very beginning of the church. And so uh, I think it's important for us to recognize uh, what this looks like, what uh, has uh, the Lord told us to be on watch for, what are these people going to look like. I think we're going to find that they're, they're, they're not going to come in here and say, hey, I'm going I'm to teach you all something false today and I want you to believe it. Uh, you know, so how do we identify that? Uh, and I think we truly need to be on guard for these things. Uh, it's spoken about a lot. I don't, I don't know uh, if we'll get through or not. I have struggled gauging sometimes my material. Uh, but uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're going to try to start here, and we're just going to go all the way through the book of Jude uh, and just kind of pull out uh, where these things are mentioned. Let's begin in Acts 20. And in verse 28, of course, like I said, this is Paul's discussion with the Ephesian elders. Elders, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among whom, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. And so he's telling them here, uh, you know, after I leave, uh, there verse 29, for I know this, that after my departure, so whenever he lives, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men are going to rise up. And so he's saying, this is going to happen. Um, and they're going to come in and they're going to strive to, you know, you get this, he's painting this imagery here of a wolf coming in among sheep uh, and he's not going to spare them, you know. So he's going to take them down, uh, these wolves are. And guess what? They're going to be from among this eldership. Uh, and so, you know, the first thing we see here is that uh, they're savage. You know, it's going to be. Uh, I, I get this word, ravenous wolves. You know, they're going to they're going to come in and they're not going to spare. And the second thing I see here um, is this idea that uh, this can happen among the eldership. I don't think this should be anything that should surprise any of us when this happens. Uh, it happened here. Paul's warning them about it, telling them this is going to happen. So we shouldn't be surprised either. It can come from any 
direction. And then thirdly, I think we see in verse 30, to draw away disciples after themselves. I, I think, uh, and of course we'll see this come up multiple times, but this, this idea of pridefulness, uh, arrogance uh, among uh, false teachers. You know, they're striving to separate the flock uh, and they're, they're trying to get them to follow them. You know, and I, again, I think you'll see that this is somewhat of a common thread. Second Corinthians, of course, we've been studying in Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians eleven, uh, and we were at the end of chapter eleven today. So this is all familiar uh, passages to us. We have just been studying here, but we're going to add it in uh, this morning. Second Corinthians eleven, beginning in verse three. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Verse 12, But what I do, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to, re- to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false, false apostles, deceitful workers, tramf- transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness." whose end will be according to their works. And so here you see Paul use the, this idea of deception. You see it there in verse 3, the serpent deceiving Eve. Uh, verse 13, deceitful workers. Uh, we see that they're transforming themselves to appear to be light. So uh, again, you know, I, I said a minute ago that uh, I think what we'll continue to see is you know, somebody's not just going to step in here and immediately announce that they're going to teach some falsehood. It's going to be subtleties. It's going to be someone trying to make themselves look good so that you will accept it. And then think about what he says here about this uh, deceiving Eve, the serpent deceiving Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. What did the serpent do? It was these half-truths. It was just a little bit off. Uh, and so... You know, I think Paul's telling us here, that's what these folks are going to do. That's what these false teachers are going to do. These deceitful workers, these false apostles. Uh, this is going to be uh, how they operate. Uh, and you should recognize this. Um, we need to be aware of it. Galatians 1. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 6. Galatians 1, beginning in verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. Who, But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone <laughs> preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For I... For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant uh, of, of Christ. Here you have this idea of perversion. Uh, you know, and so in my mind, if I'm, if I'm thinking about uh, what Paul's saying here, you know, he's saying it's not another gospel, uh, but they are going to pervert it. And so uh, 
in my mind, we get this idea of purity. So you have the pure word, you have the pure message of Christ, and someone's going to trump. He says in verse 7, there are some who trouble you. So they're going to, they're going to be troublesome and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ, the gospel of Christ being pure, and they're going to try to pervert it in some way to make you believe another, which is truly not another, but they're going to get you or strive to get you uh, to believe their message, to believe something different. Chapter 2 of Galatians, beginning in verse 1. Then after fourteen years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us uh, into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you but from those who seem to be something whatever they were it makes no difference to me God shows personal favoritism to no man for those who seem to be something added nothing to me alright and so here you know he, he uh, talks about this idea uh, of deception again they're bringing in uh, false brethren secretly brought in. So this, you know, this idea of stealth, uh, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty. Uh, so this liberty that we have, which is in Christ Jesus specifically, he's mentioning, uh, this, uh, this Jew and, and Gentile, this circumcision. It was that necessary. Of course, you know, he mentions Titus here. We know that he was a Greek. He's saying he's not being circumcised. So we know that they're, they're coming in, uh, by stealth. Uh, to try to take away some liberty that, that Titus had here. Um, and Paul's saying, we're not yielding to them uh, for an hour. We're not yielding to this teaching. We're not going to give in that the truth of the gospel might continue. I think back to what he says in chapter 1. You know, They're going to pervert it. They're going to change it. Uh, they're going to trouble you with these things. Uh, and here, uh, he's calling them false brethren. I find that. I find that some pretty strong language. I mean, he's he's pointing them out. You know, they're false. They're not true. Uh, and guess what? Folks are bringing them in by stealth. Uh, you think about the uh, the attitude, I guess, that it takes to uh, to do such a thing like this. You know, it's this sneaking around, uh, this this striving uh, and sneaking around to try to gain some advantage in some way to teach something that's false. Um, that's who. Uh, these people uh, are. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We're going to go through verse 8 to 20. Uh, and there's a few things, I guess, really reading this this for context, but, um, you know, I guess especially pay attention to verse 17. But then indeed, when you do not know God, you serve those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, 
you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy, because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would belong, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Like I say, focus there on verse 17. They court you. Um, they court you. You know, and I think about what is that, you know, I, I think about this idea of courting it or dating. Uh, and what might this look like? There's going to be flattery. There's going to be attention. They're going to uh, agree with you. They're going to do uh, whatever they can do uh, to get in good. Um, but Paul says that they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. That's what we saw in Acts. That's what Paul said in Acts as well, Acts chapter 20. And this idea of they're, they're doing this uh, for their own benefit. There's some kind of a uh, pride that goes along with this, uh, and they're going to zealously court you uh, to make this happen so that you will follow them in uh, falsehood, so that you will follow them uh, down that road. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows which with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. <clears throat> you look there in verse 4, you see this idea of deceive again. Uh, you know, he says there, lest anyone should deceive you uh, with persuasive words. All right? So this idea of deception comes in again. And this is a very common thing, uh, this warning against this. Uh, and of course, you know... Uh, we started there in Second Corinthians 11 talking about Eve, you know, and this idea of, of what 
uh, is what are the workers of the devil going to do? They're going to be like the devil. They're going to transform themselves to, to look good, uh, to be good, and they're going to use just a little bit off, uh, and they're going to try to persuade you. And he says there in verse 18, there'll be this, this sense of false humility and worship of angels. And we'll see this idea of worship of angels come in again two more times, once in Jude and then Second uh, Peter, I believe. Uh, I don't understand all of what was wrapped up in this worship of angels, but uh, this, uh, or this idea of angels being wrapped in with these false teachers, but it was certainly something that was. Um, uh, but again, you have this idea of this false humility, and I think we've all all seen this. We kind of know what it looks like. It may be hard to communicate, but we uh, we certainly know what it looks like. In verse nineteen, he gives us. He uh, kind of tells us, in my mind, a little bit of how to to keep from this happening. So he's saying they're not what they're they're not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Uh, so, you know, essentially in that, he's telling us this is, this is what you should be doing. You should be holding fast to the head, and these people are not. These people are going away from that, uh, and he, and here specifically he's telling, you know, don't let them cheat you out of your reward. Uh, don't let them take away, uh, your liberties, uh, in that, in this false, in this false teaching, in these falsehoods. Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter two. Let's start there in verse one. Second Thessalonians chapter two. In verse one. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above, above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and now you know what is restraining, and that... He may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusions that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Uh, so you see this idea. He mentions uh, deceit uh, twice in this passage. Uh, the first time he mentions it is there in verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means. Of course, he's talking about the coming of the day of the Lord. Evidently, there were some that had taught that it had already come. Uh, but again, these false teachers uh, are deceiving. And then he, he says here that they did not receive the love of the truth. Um, you know, I think this is something, you know, we talked a little uh, in the last passage there in Colossians about 
you know, what they should have been doing. You know, should have been holding to the head. Uh, and so, and that's what we should be doing. Uh, and here, I think we get this idea of, of this is who we should be. We should have this love for the truth. Uh, and he's saying he sends these, he lets these people, he sends them strong delusion, lets them believe this lie. It's uh, a scary thing to me. Uh, and so, you know, if I'm thinking about things for us to take uh, from this passage, again, it's that these people are deceivers. And then secondly, that we should have this love for the truth. We should be striving to be uh, this person that just truly loves the truth. First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. As I urge you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, rather than godly edification which is in faith. And this is not the last time you'll see this idea of endless genealogies and fables. So we're, we'll just go through First Timothy here, uh, and you'll see this, this comes up uh, a couple different times. First Timothy uh, 4, beginning in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourishing the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself to godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having, having, the promise, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially to those who believe these things command and teach. And so uh, here again you have this idea of these uh, profane and old wise fables. Uh, he's, telling, he's telling him to reject these things. Um, and you see here, you know, you've seen it come up several times where Paul has said, don't let them take away your liberty. You know, he mentioned it first there with uh, this idea of Titus. And then he's telling there in regards, uh, uh, or here in regards to, you know, just forbidding things. And so evidently, uh, something to take note of or to be watchful for in a false teacher is someone who comes in and starts trying to, uh, forbid things that God has not for, uh, forbade. So, uh, they're evidently going to come in and try to say, well, well, you can't do that and you can't do this and you can't do that. And God has not said that. I think of the Pharisees when I think of, when I think of this. Uh, you know, it's this idea of, uh, I think of the washing of hands and of cups. You know, we're making laws outside of God's laws that we're expecting you to keep. Okay. And so evidently that is something that, to be watchful for. Paul mentions this several times, uh, that, that, that is what these false teachers will do. They'll just come in and start, uh, start trying to, uh, forbid, or forbid you from doing certain things or try to make, make these extra laws uh, and take away some liberty uh, that God has actually given us uh, to choose on our own. And he's saying, uh, reject uh, these people. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 3. 
If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with the disputes and arguments over words which, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. From such, withdraw yourself. All right? uh, and so he's saying... Uh, back then, verse three. If any, if anyone does, if anyone teaches otherwise, they don't consent to wholesome words, uh, the words of Jesus, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. He's defining this person. He's proud, knowing nothing, obsessed with these disputes over, and arguments over words, uh, which come, which come these things: envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless reigns of men. Uh, and he's saying, withdraw from these people. Don't. Uh, put up with that. You know, if I think about this idea of does not consent, what does that mean? That means he's, they're not submitting to that. So he says there, uh, does not consent to wholesome words. This person's not submitting to wholesome words. This person is not of a submissive attitude, which, and hence why he says there in verse 4, he is proud. He's not uh, accepting uh, those things. Second Timothy 2. Like I suspected, I've got too much reading. We'll have to speed up if we're going to finish. Um, 2 Timothy 2, I had us going from 14 to chapter 3 and verse 9. Let's, let's read uh, verse 14. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Has anyone seen this? <coughs> Anybody that's been in a Bible class, I think, has seen this uh, of, of any length of time. You know, um, I don't know. It's easy to identify. <laughs> Maybe hard to explain exactly what this is going to look like, but when you see it, you know it. You know, this is... You know, you're sitting there and it's just endless on about something that doesn't matter. It's all suspicion. It's whatever. And you're like, man, oh man, uh, let's stick to what we know. Uh, but this is evidently an identifier. But verse 15, he says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Verse 16, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenius and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed and they overthrow the faith of some. Um, so, you know, you see here that he's saying, again, he's bringing up these profane and idle babblings. Uh, he mentioned those in First Timothy as well. He's telling them to shun those things, don't be a part of it. Uh, that Because why? Because it's just going to increase. If you entertain, if you... Uh, engage this type of behavior, it's going to spread, he says, like cancer. And then he mentions uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Uh, these people existed then. I don't know why we should think that they do not exist today. Uh, I think we, uh, I saw at least one head uh, nod very rapidly that they have seen this. I've seen them. Uh, and he's saying, don't put up with that. Don't be like that. Uh, but in contrast, telling us to be diligent to present ourselves approved of God, and we're supposed to rightly divide the word of truth. We're supposed to be able to 
take God's word and rightly divide it. Um, let's go to verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Let's go on to Titus. Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second abomination, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. And so... uh, you know, this might be a nuance from false teachers, but, you know, he's saying that uh, these foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, uh, they're unprofitable. They're useless. Don't engage them. And he's saying, look, if somebody's like this, reject them. Reject a divisive man after the first and second abomination. So, yes, we're to warn them. Uh, but then he says, reject them, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. If we take what he told Timothy, this... kind of attitude, these things will spread and we are not to be putting up with these things. Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. Yeah, 2 Peter chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And so here again we have this idea of secretly bringing something in. Secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle, and their destructive destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. 
They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of righteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey, speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. There's a lot in there when you start considering uh, false teachers. But again, if you go back to verse 1, uh, this idea of secretly being brought in, they're going to secretly bring in destructive heresies, destructive teachings. Uh, they're going to deny the Lord, uh, and then they're going to bring upon themselves swift destruction um, by covetous desire or covetousness. Uh, Strong defines this as desire for advantage. So their desire uh, for advantage uh, in their desire for advantage, they will exploit you with deceptive words. This idea of deceit again. For a long time the judgment has not been idle and their destruction uh, does not slumber. Verse 10, furthermore, they despise authority. Um, they are presumptuous. Uh, if you think about this idea of presumptuous, it's, uh, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, uh, assume some form of, of authority. I'm going to go ahead. I think about, uh, personally think about Saul when he went ahead and, and made a sacrifice instead of waiting on Samuel. That's who I think about. But they're self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. I believe this dignitaries here is, uh, angels. Uh, I mean, we can talk about that, I guess, uh, next hour. Matt can, uh, help us with that in the next hour. But this is mentioned here and in Jude, this idea of dignitaries. Uh, and it does seem to me uh, that that is angels, and so they're not a, they're not afraid to speak uh, evil of things that they do not know. Is essentially what he's saying. You know, they don't um, they don't understand these things, uh, but they're they're not afraid uh, to speak about them. They're not afraid to go out on a limb. Verse fourteen: They have eyes full of adultery. They they and they cannot cease from sin, enticing un- unstable souls. And so they're going to try to uh, entice us. Uh, if, they, if they think that maybe you're unstable in some way, they're going to try to uh, entice you with these words. They have a heart trained in covetous practice uh, and are accursed children. Verse 15, I think we get this idea of their love of money, you know, and I think we don't have to look far around us uh, to see that a lot of people are motivated uh, in religion by some idea, you know, this covetousness, by this desire for some kind of advantage to be over people, uh, and then this desire uh, for wealth uh, and to to have money. Uh, they can, they're motivated by this. Verse 17, these are wells without water. Uh, you know, they're promising something they can't deliver. Uh, that's what I think of when I see this wells without water. Clouds carried about by a tempest. They're always... To and fro, um, you know. I get also get this idea of, um, you know, have you ever heard the expression? Uh, they're just checking to see which way the wind's blowing. You know, they're just going to take whatever side that that they need to take uh, to gain whatever advantage uh, they need to gain. And then in verse nineteen, uh, we didn't read that, but they promise uh, liberty, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. So they're promising you something. Uh, that that is untrue, because uh, true liberty uh, is in Christ. We are out of time, uh, so I guess let's go to Jude.
I had us I had us reading uh, through the book of Jude. There, there's a lot of things in Jude uh, about this this idea of false teachers. But but we'll um, let's read verse uh, twelve and thirteen, and, and then we'll, and then we'll we'll finish after that. Verse twelve and thirteen. These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. But here again, they are. are uh, Arrogant, they are prideful, they are only about themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, laid on them trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raising waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Uh, and so here, you know, uh, it's mentioned this idea, the clouds without water. I think about it a lot, a lot like wells without water. Uh, you know, the, you think about clouds. What are clouds to do? They're to bring rain. But these clouds don't have rain. They cannot deliver anything of substance. And they're carried about by the wind. Uh, they're going to go wherever the wind blows. They're laid autumn trees without fruit. Uh, if I, you know, you kind of think about the application of this. Uh, you've waited all summer. They, th- this tree has been green. It's been promising fruit. And yet there is none. That's what a false teacher's like. There's nothing there. There's nothing of substance there. Uh, that's what he's saying. Jude, verse 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves upon your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And so as we leave, as we close uh, today, you know, as we've looked at what a false teacher is going to be like, We've looked at how to identify them, uh, be watchful for them. They exist. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised when we see one. We shouldn't be surprised when we have to deal with one. Uh, I think the Lord has given us all the information we need to, uh, to identify who these people are and to combat them. Uh, Jude says there to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So that's the, uh, the message for us today is to know uh, what the truth is, rightly divide the truth, be able to identify We'll be able to identify falsehood. If there's anyone here today that needs the prayers of the saints, we'd ask you to come forward while we stand and sing.